Well, we are ready for the second part of our walk through this letter uh, to the Hebrews. We have been talking about getting where we're going, why it's better to gather. And I gave you three reasons for that. And the first was uh, because of the one true God, because this is what he has been about since the beginning, since we broke this perfect communion or gathering. Uh, And then we said the second reason uh, was that because of the one true faith, because there is a place you're meant to be, and he wants to draw you back into that place. And then the third reason was because of the one true family, that there has always been in God's intention a corporate understanding of who we are. God wants to love every one of us together as a body of believers. And so we said last time I spoke, um, let's do it, and that'll be the one true proof. This is the first part of our journey through Hebrews, that we would understand God intended God's intended collective identity that supports and shapes and defines us. It's better to gather because this is the destination. This is where we're going. As he puts it in Isaiah 53, we all like sheep had gone astray, each one to his own way. That was what was bad. But he, the lamb, we were the sheep wandering away. He became the perfect lamb that then gathers us together to himself. Revelation 7, 9. Check that out. So that's the destination. That's where we're headed. That's why it's better to gather. But now we're ready for the next step in understanding this letter to the Hebrews. We need to step back and consider everything from the beginning, what I call getting what God has given, gathering at the beginning. And this is what the first four chapters of the book of Hebrews is all about. The one who wrote the first book of the Bible, Moses, and the one who wrote the last book of the Bible, John, both began this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John wrote the last book of the Bible, but he also wrote the Gospel of John and some other epistles as well. And in his Gospel, he writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then his first epistle, he begins this way, that which was from the beginning, that which we have heard and seen and touched, and we proclaim to you. So here's the point. At some point along the way, you need to go back to the beginning to understand it all. And here is what we want to understand over these coming weeks. This is our learning objective, to communicate the origin of it all, to understand truth's origin, man's problem, God's intervention, man's solution, getting what God has given. And that's essential in establishing where the problem begins and from where the solution begins comes. You see, these are things that are part of the beginning. There's no one righteous. No, not one. That was the problem from the beginning. But also, there is one who became like us that we might become like him. And that starts to move us towards the destination. So we're going to go way back to the beginning as the author does and 
see what we need to get from the origin of it all. And, and the author does this by describing the one who is to be the focal point of our understanding, the second person of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so over these coming weeks, we're going to look at the Son of God. Look at who He is. The Son of God, listen to what He says. The Son of Man, look at who He became. And the Son of Man, look at what He did. But of course, I'm getting way ahead of myself. So let's consider the background of this letter to the Hebrews uh, as I read for you two passages. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And then chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. And after He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So He became as much superior, as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is superior to theirs. Then chapter 2, first four verses. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. And God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Pray with me for a moment as we open God's Word. Lord, may we see, perhaps again, perhaps for the first time, certainly in a new and a fresh way, who you are to be heard and who we are to be listening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, Hebrews. Don't you wish there was a letter called Gentiles? I mean, this isn't written for you, right? This isn't written to us. Even if you happen to be Jewish here in America, that is a, it's probably a racial distinction or perhaps a creedal distinctive, but it's, it's not really a cultural definition of who you are, at least not like these Hebrews. Are you rooted in the book of Leviticus? Do you get up and read that every morning? Do you read out of the Pentateuch? Do you even know what Pentateuch means? First five books of the Old Testament. Is this you? Are you rooted in God's pattern of life prior to Jesus Christ? Rules, regulations, or a religious life, religious life that I, I would call military style? Do this, don't do that. 
And besides that, this book was written not only to Hebrews, but, but to Hebrews in the first century before 70 A.D., before uh, the temple was destroyed and, and that country really ceased to exist uh, in any kind of political and geographical form until 1948. Hebrews turned Christian, Christians who, who happened to be of Hebrew and Jewish descent who were young in their faith and were trying to deal with their past now in their very different present. From a military lifestyle of the Old Testament to a civilian lifestyle of the New Testament, much more freedom, less rules and regulations. And, and amidst this, there were these, these people running around called Judaizers who were trying to get everybody to go back to the old ways. And in fact, some of these new believers missed the old ways because they were comfortable. At least the rules kind of let you know where everything was. And they wondered and they questioned. They doubted even this new way because it was all so new and different. And this was their struggle because they were, diff- they were struggling with things out of their past. And now we begin to see something that is true of all of us, Right? We always have things from our past that give us trouble in the present. This really, this Jesus Christ changed everything. Now let me try and illustrate to you to what degree um, that change rocked these people's world. Young people, stick with me. We're going to do a little history lesson, which means nothing to you, until you see actually Some of the old people around you grin at this. Those of us who were conscious prior to the 1970s, lots of us, if I asked you what country of the world came to mind when I mentioned the word watch, what was it? Think. Switzerland. Right. What country comes to mind, and you know, now I'm not so sure anymore because we live in this global economy, but let's put ourselves in the 80s, okay? You know, the, the 80s is the new 60s, you know? <laughs> so these kids running around going, oh, well, it was back in the 80s. Like, yeah, the 80s, that wasn't that long ago, was it? Yeah, it was. Okay, so we're going all the way back to the 80s. What country did you think of when somebody said the word watch in the 80s? Japan. Do you know why? And young people are saying, what in the world does this have to do with anything? Let me explain it. It's the invention of the digital LED watch. Do you know what LED stands for? Digital Light Emitting Diode. Okay. That's nice. Why is this so interesting? Because, and it's not, unless you understand who invented the LED watch. And you're all going, Japan, silly. Wrong. The light, digital light emitting diode watch was invented by a Swiss man. You had no idea, did you? To whom it was said when he came up with this brilliant idea, that is not a watch. And you chuckle. But they meant it. And they weren't kidding. 
They didn't even think it was kind of a sort of half-baked idea. They meant it to the core of their beings. That is not a watch. And you know why I know they meant it that deeply? Because they took that idea to a watch convention in Dallas, Texas, without any patent protection whatsoever. Texas Instruments and the Japanese grabbed it, and the rest is history. And until they reinvented themselves with swatch and adopted the LED, they were toast as their whole world got turned upside down. You see, this was what we call a paradigm shift. You know what a paradigm is? Four nickels. <laughs> Just love that one. They had forgotten. No, paradigm shift means when everything gets changed, the whole framework of thinking becomes different. And in fact, they had forgotten the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal was to have a timepiece that accurately, efficiently, and affordably told time, right? Not to maintain a structure that told the world that they made watches. And that was the problem with the Hebrews. They had the same difficulty. Their mentality was to let the, peop the world know that they were the people of God. But that isn't the ultimate goal, is it? The ultimate goal is knowing God and being known by God. That's what it's all about, right? He chose a people to bring about His knowledge of Himself to the world. Not that they would declare, we're the people of God, but that the people of God would tell people that He is God. What about us? Our ultimate purpose is not to tell the world we have all the answers. Our ultimate purpose is sharing the answer with the whole world. And there's a big difference, isn't there? We don't have all the answers. We just happen to have met the one who does. And that's an extremely important distinction. God's work is about God we just happen to be the blessed recipients of that work. And this is God's ultimate goal. And there's nothing new about this. And he had been telling the Hebrews about that for millennia. And he'd been predicting that his revelation of himself would get better and better and better. And that's what this letter of Hebrews is all about. God's better way. And consequently, verse 3 becomes the key verse for the entire book of Hebrews. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had pu provided purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Hebrews is filled with many interesting subjects, and they're all important, but he is greater than all of them. He is and must be the focus. And now this book, this letter, does become a letter written to us. The book of Hebrews is written for someone who needs to see the forest for the trees, who's forgotten what the ultimate objective is, that needs some perspective and understanding life's true priorities. 
It's a rich and detailed comparison of one, what one might think is important or of priority of life and of the only person truly worthy of that priority that can give proper perspective to life and its meaning. And so this author, in painstaking detail, presents comparisons one after another between man's priorities and God's priorities. And through this, not only do we come to understand how important God's place is in our lives, but also what wonderful things He has done for us in bringing us into relationship with Him. And He will expose things in our lives that need to be directly compared with Christ so that they're put in their proper place, so that we can gain the most benefit from all that God is doing that is better for us. And so to represent this in the most tangible and and, and, and memorable way as possible, I've uh, written a, uh, a series of mathematical equations, with it, which, if you know me at all, is a wonder in and of itself, because me and math just don't get along. But I do know what the greater than sign means. And so, <laughs> I'm going to offer you a series of these as we walk through this letter. And the first one that we're going to look at for these next couple of weeks is the Son of God. What He said is greater than anything you have ever heard. And let me take a, a, a bite of that this morning by talking to you about the Son of God. Look at who He is. Who is He to speak? And, and we see that in these first four verses of chapter 1. In verse 1 it says, In the past, at many times and in various ways, He spoke through these prophets. Now, think like these Jewish people, if you would. They're struggling with they were always this, and now Jesus is coming. It's all different. Now these Gentiles get to join us. But we always have hearkened back to whom? Well, to Moses and to the prophets and to all the things that they said. Is this Jesus really the final word? After all, there were so many prophets. Why is he more important than any other? Well, that's what... Jesus wants us to understand. That's what the author wants us to understand about Jesus. As a matter of fact, this takes us back to Matthew chapter 5. Now, Matthew was a gospel written to the Jews, to the Hebrews. And so, by no mistake, at the very beginning of his ministry, he speaks to these. His audience at this point is primarily Jewish people. And he does what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he's focusing on these issues from their past. And he says to them in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7, but in 5 in particular, he says, listen, you've always heard it said, but I tell you. See, in chapter 5 verse 17, he says, I haven't come to abolish the law. I haven't come to throw all this away. I've come to fulfill it and make it so much more. It's not that the Swiss didn't have a watch here and then over here we had watches no more. We took what was a good idea and made it even better. And so Jesus is working out of the Old Testament to make it that much better. And so he tells them, item after item, you've heard it said, don't murder anybody. I tell you, if you yell at anybody and call them a fool, you're murdering them verbally. Oh, really? That, that's making it even better, isn't it? You heard in the Old Testament, don't commit adultery. I say, if you look at that woman the wrong way, you're doing it already in your heart, and you know it. Well, isn't that taking it and making it that much better? Yeah, it is. Uh, 
You in the Old Testament set up all these rules. You could just divorce anybody anytime you wanted because he made the meal wrong. I tell you, don't do that. You heard in the Old Testament that, you know, you should, you should make sure that your oath is this way and that way. I tell you, don't swear at all. You heard in the Old Testament, an eye for an eye, you know, a tooth for a tooth. I'm telling you, turn the other cheek. You heard that you, you, shouldn't, you should love your neighbors. I'm telling you to love your enemies and pray for them. You see, he, he takes it and he makes it that much better. But, <laughs> of course, as I was saying, this makes it better. Some of you are looking going, no, it doesn't make it any better. This changes everything. Who is he to tell me that? Who is this guy? What authority does he have? And that's why the author so strongly and clearly and graphically describes who this Christ is so that we will see that his word is greater than anything we've ever heard. So, who is this guy? To take us from just some rules that maybe we could do or not do to make it even harder. I mean, now he's talking about my heart and my desires. And my... Who is he to do that? Well, the first verse is there. <laughs> he owns it all. He is it all. He did it all. Verse 1, he owns it all. Uh, verse 2, actually, he says he's the creator. He's the heir of all things. And then if you go to verses 10 through 12, it describes it even more. Uh, he laid the foundation of the earth, and, and they're the work of his hands. And, and, and I've got to keep moving. But at the end, he says, you're even going to take, take those things, you, you roll them out like a garment, garment, and you roll them back up again. I mean, the control is unbelievable. He is the creator of all things, the heir of all things. He's the owner. So he owns it all. He is it all. Verse 3 says he's the representation of God. He's the visual representation of God. God is a spirit. So this is how we can see God in Jesus Christ. And then he's the exact representation of, a being, of his being as a person. This is how we can get to know God. And then he says he's the sustainer of all things. That, that's how we can trust God. Wow, that'll preach. Oh, that's what I'm doing, right? <laughs> this is how you can see God. This is how you can know God. This is how you can trust God. Do you realize that? The only visible representation you will ever see of God is the person of Jesus Christ. Because the Father is the Spirit. He told us that. And the Son is, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit. And so the Son is the representation of God. And not only do you see God through Him, but you can understand God through Him and you can trust God because of Him. So he owns it all, he is it all, and he did it all. He has provided salvation so that we can even approach God. He, it's completed. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That means the work was done. And then I just love this image. If you go over to verse, uh, verse 13, young people are going to love this. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your feet? What does Jesus look like he's doing? right now, as he's seated at the right hand of God. He looks like me when I'm watching the ball game. He's got his feet up, and he's, he's, he's out there. He's got his feet up. That's so cool. All right, I thought it was cooler than you did. Whatever. I think it's kind of neat that he's, he's seated, and he's done, and he's got his feet up because he's made these nations a footstool unto his feet. He's done it. He's completed it. So, here it goes. 
all in a phrase. <gasps> he's the authorized and exact representation of Almighty God. He's created and sustains all things. He has completed the provision of forgiveness for us who are alienated from God. He visually represents God to us and awaits our appropriate response to his completed work and absolute authority over life that he offers to us. That is who he is. Who is he to speak? He's authoritative. The Son of God, look at who he is. Have you ever questioned uh, something only to find that you were talking to the very authority that you were questioning? <laughs> Got a couple of stories like that. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard this one, but if you haven't, you will now, and you need to. In the darkest part of the night, a ship's captain cautiously piloted his warship through fog-shrouded waters. With straining eyes, he scanned the hazy darkness, searching for dangers lurking just out of sight. His worst fears were realized when he saw a bright light straight ahead. It appeared to be a vessel on a collision course with his ship. To avert disaster, he quickly radioed the oncoming vessel. This is Captain Jeremiah Smith. His voice crackled over the radio. Please alter your course 10 degrees to the south. Over. To the captain's amazement, the foggy image did not move. Instead, he heard back on the radio, Captain Smith, this is Private Thomas Johnson. Please alter your course 10 degrees to the north. Over. Appalled at the audacity of the message, the captain shouted back over the radio, Private Johnson, this is Captain Smith. I order you to immediately alter your course 10 degrees to the south. Over. A second time, the oncoming light did not budge. With all due respect, Captain Smith, came the private's voice again, I order you to alter your course immediately 10 degrees to the north. Over. Angered and frustrated that this impudent sailor and, and that he would endanger the lives of his men and crew. The captain growled back over the radio, Private Johnson, I can have you court-martialed for this. For the last time, I command you in the authority of the United States government to alter your course 10 degrees to the south. I am a battleship. Private's final transmission was chilling. Captain Smith, sir, once again, with all due respect, I command you to alter your course 10 degrees to the north. I am a lighthouse. Ooh. Many of us in today's world have little respect for authority. We operate as if rules can or should be changed to fit our personal needs and desires. Our commercial world tells us to have it our own way. In reality, we can't always have it our own way. We have to conform our lives to a higher truth and a higher authority. Truth is not going to change to accommodate us. We're the ones who must change to conform our lives to what is true. I'll give you another implication of this. The word God today is popular. The name Jesus today is not. Because, why? Because when you use God, you can define it any way you want to. But when you say the name Jesus, 
He has so clearly declared who he is. You cannot with any intellectual honesty, honesty edit his claims. The Son of God. Look at who he is. Who is he to speak? He is absolutely authoritative. Which leads us to why should we listen? Those are the first four verses of chapter 2 and the exact conclusion the author comes to. Now, in this uh, letter, uh, there are passages they call warnings, um, a, a number of them that come out of his teaching. Now, some people call these problem passages. I don't think they're problem passages. Uh, they're warnings that the context begs that they be given. Uh, in fact, in verse 1, you see of chapter 2, therefore, because of all the things that we've heard, because of all that's been demonstrated, we must respond. And if we don't, there are consequences. You can't speak of a lighthouse in the fog without a ship setting its direction by it. And you can't speak of the Son of God and His words without setting our direction by what He says. So, Listen to what our response needs to be. You need to listen to what you've heard. Verse 1, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. We must pay more careful attention to whom much is given as much is required. We are without excuse. And drifting is the result. In fact, that's the dangerous part of it. Often it's not some cataclysmic change because we ignore what he says. It's what, it's what that... Song, slow fade, is talking about. It's that, it's that slow drift into danger. You know this, stop ignoring it. Secondly, the warning says, act or be acted upon, verses 2 and 3. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedient receives its just punishment, well, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation which was announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. There's history behind all of this, and it cannot be ignored. They heard from angels. We've heard from the God incarnate himself. What you sow, you reap. Don't kid yourself. If, you, if they were judged, you will be judged. And not ignore, you're not just ignoring someone else's advice. You're actually snubbing the very means of salvation God has provided. So listen to what you've heard, act or be acted upon, and then accept God's testimony. Verse 4, God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. In the courtroom, in the cosmic courtroom, of justice, all reasonable doubt has been disproven by the Son of God. And it has been announced and confirmed by other believers, signs, wonders, the Holy Spirit Himself. And this is why we must listen. And next week we're going to get a little bit into, okay, what did He say that I need to listen to? So hang on. But today I want us to grip get a hold of the authority behind which these words are spoken. Because he's a person, the visible representation of God. Do our utmost submission, respect, 
and obedience. And if we don't, there could be a day, there will be a day, that He in person will judge you and this world. Have you ever been in a situation like that where somebody was quoted and, and then they were present? I was in a situation like that a number of years ago. It was a theological uh, discussion at a, at, a, uh, at a church gathering, bunch of pastors and theologians, and, and uh, there was an issue on the table, and, and this one fellow felt very, very strongly about it, and he stood up, and, and, and there are uh, equally sincere individuals who love the Lord uh, with all their heart and study the same Bible and come to different Uh, conclusions on this particular issue. It's not a major issue, but you get into theological discussions and people like to, you know, come up with their conclusions. So there were implications on people and this movement of churches that we're in. And so this one person felt strongly and he stood up. And to make his claim, because, you know, the same verses, different people see different, he quoted A.T. Olson. Now, A.T. Olson is one of the founders of the Evangelical Free Church of America. So he stood up and he he read something that A.T. Olson said. Now, unfortunately, he had ripped it right out of context. And he was trying to make his point. Well, I got to tell you, I was, I was just a young guy. And I was fascinated in the discussion. But I knew that Dr. Olson was there. And as soon as he quoted him, because I had studied under him at Trinity, I went, I don't know if you wanted to do that. And sure enough, this godly elderly man came shuffling all the way down from the back. And you could hear the hush. And he walked up to a microphone and he said, not only is that not what I said, that is not what I meant. Guy was done, right? (laughs) History. You can imagine the power of that moment. That's nothing compared to the power of the moment that God would stand in Christ Jesus in our presence and have to remind us not only what he said, but what he meant. Why would we want to find ourselves in those shoes? Who is he to speak? Who is he that I should listen He is the Son of God. The only physical representation you will ever see, the exact representation of His being, who has completed everything you need for salvation for you, sits and awaits your response. He owns it all. He is it all. He did it all. He is authoritative. So we must listen to what we have heard. We must act or be acted upon. We must accept God's testimony. What have you heard that you're ignoring? What's happening in your life that might be the result of that? And what are you going to do about it? When will you accept the verdict? He's proven his case. He is the Son of God, and what He said is greater than anything you have ever heard. So listen. Act upon it or be acted upon, 
act on it or be acted upon. Accept God's testimony. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. And once again, reminded of exactly who he is, we willingly submit. We recognize we must obey. And we ask for your mercy and your grace to be obedient to all we have heard, to listen to what we have yet to hear, and to do what you would expect of us that we would do. In Jesus' precious name, amen. As the worship team comes, I just want to remind you of something. We, as I've said repeatedly, we've created an opportunity here after the service to have people here that will listen to you and pray with you. And let me give you some reasons why that's so important. Number one, because I may create more questions than answers in what I've said. Maybe somebody needs to listen to your questions. Because God's work is not done when I stop talking. Because we best learn when we learn together and from each other. And because life is too hard to carry on your own. So, just one more opportunity for you to share a burden and have someone pray with you. And they'll be available after we close the service.